So we have been learning over the last few weeks about some of these foundational commands. That direction, that command to love God, to find Him to be the most excellent thing, the most valuable thing, the most worthwhile thing in our lives and in all of creation. So we love God. We hold Him up as most excellent, most valuable. And we love Him because of who He is. We love Him because of what He has done for us. And we love Him for what He has promised to do for us. See, He is perfect. He is holy. He is the creator of of the entire world and of us. But we have rebelled against his rule. We've wanted to be in charge. We've wanted to dictate how things go. And because of that rebellion, because of our rebellion, we have lost the hope of eternal life. The wages of our sin is death. But because of his great love and mercy, because of who he is, God the Father sent his Son Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to live that perfect, sinless life that we could never hope to live, and to die the death that we deserved, taking the place that we had earned and giving to us the place that he had earned. So if we accept that gift and turn away from our rebellion and seek, if we follow and love him, then we are made right with God. Our relationship with him is repaired, and we look forward to an eternity with him. That looked like it hurt. (laughs) Uh, An eternity free of that sort of pain, free of that sort of suffering, free of sin and of death, and filled, filled with the majesty and the glory of God. So that is why we love Him. We are also called then to love others because other people, the people around us, every single human being is an image bearer of God. They bear God's image just as we do, and they are worthy of dignity and respect because of that. And so we talked about how, uh, how we love others by seeing a need in their life, identifying that need, and then stepping into their life to meet that need at some sort of cost to ourselves, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's patience. Sometimes we meet that need by our very lives. Now, ultimately, there is a need that sits at the center of every single human soul. There is a need, there is a hunger, there is a longing for something. And we all see it in a slightly different way. We see it as a need for peace, as a need for contentment, as a need for belonging, a need for a sense of home, a sense of family, that that this is the place, this is it, this is where I belong. Or we describe it by its absence, right? A a longing, an emptiness, a void, existential dread, right? There is a need that underlies all of human existence. Now, there have been some folks who have tried to chart and diagram needs. Uh, It's a little small. I apologize for that. I should have checked that before I threw it up there. But this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right? The very basic needs that he outlined, food, water, warmth, rest, these are things that our bodies need to be able to continue to survive. And once those are met, we can begin pursuing safety and security 
intimate friendships, friends, uh, prestige, a feeling of accomplishment. And at the very height of that is self-actualization, right? Achieving one's full potential, having a life that's full of meaning and purpose. So over time, as, as people, as families, as, as a human race, we've moved up this hierarchy, right? You know, we, we generally, at this stage in our lives, don't struggle for food or water or warmth or rest. If you do, please let us know. That is a need that exists in your life, and we would love to love you by meeting that need. But we've moved up. But we've found... Well, we've moved up and, and in anticipation that if I can just get to that next level, if I can just have my hunger satisfied, then I'll be good. If I can just have my need for safety and security met, then I'll be okay. Everything's going to be good. And so we move up to the next level. But what we've discovered as a human race is that when you get up to the top of that pyramid, when you have achieved your life's full potential, when you have been as creative as you can be, when you have reached the pinnacle of success in your professional or, or personal life, you sit there and you say, is this it? Is this all that there is? You're left with that same sense of emptiness, that same sense of incompleteness. And so we try to seek to fill that need, that hunger, that emptiness, that void, to drown out that existential dread of our own mortality. And it's easy for us to try and do that today, right? You spend so much time scrolling on Facebook that you don't have to think about the fact that your life is spiraling out of control, right? You pin enough fun summer ideas that you don't have to think about the fact that the years that you have left with your children are not as many as they once were. You run to work first thing in the morning and return late at night to avoid that unhappy marriage. You drink to avoid those feelings of inadequacy. You turn to drugs to just feel something. So we, as human beings, are simultaneously trying to seek fulfillment of that need and to drown out the void that it leaves in our lives. Now, the fulfillment of that need, the meeting of that need, uh, the word in, in Hebrew is, is shalom, right? It's this ultimate sense of peace, ultimate sense of belonging, security, of, of well-being, of fulfillment. It is the satisfaction of every single need on that chart, and then some. So how do we get there? How do we get to that point where we are fulfilled like that. Anybody tell me what this is? Craftsman flathead screwdriver. Now, I have used this screwdriver and one like it, ones like it, for lots of things other than a screwdriver, right? You use it as a chisel. You can use it as a pry bar. You jam it in and, and you pry with it, right? I've even used it as a trailer pin, right? To hook on a piece of equipment behind a tractor. Didn't have a pin, so I dropped this in. And, I mean, it, it works okay for a little while. Just don't go too fast. Um, but to, 
use this screwdriver only as those things misses what it was created for. It was designed to accomplish a particular task. And when we misuse it, it doesn't quite work right. It doesn't make a very good pry bar. It doesn't make a very good chisel. It doesn't make a very good trailer pin either. <laughs> um, but when we've used it the way that it was intended, all of the different parts and pieces of it make sense. They all have a purpose. They all work together to accomplish the end that this screwdriver was created to accomplish. Same thing with a hammer, right? I've used this hammer as a grinder. I was in Haiti, and they, uh, uh, there were bolts in the cement slab that needed to come out. We would have just used a grinder. They didn't have a grinder. I stood there for you know, about 15 minutes on each one, beating it back and forth until it finally broke off level with the concrete. It's a very inefficient grinder. It does not work well as a grinder. And it's still got all the marks on the end of it from doing that. I've used it as a pickaxe, right? to break up some, uh, uh, some hard dirt, right? It doesn't work very well as a pickaxe, but it was the pickaxe I had, so I used it. But when you use this as a framing hammer, when you drive that nice, shiny, straight nail into that perfectly kiln-dried piece of wood, and it gives that nice ping, anybody know what I'm talking about? It, it's got a lovely sound to it. This hammer sings when you use it the way that it's supposed to be used. But when you use it for something other than what it was designed to be used for, it doesn't work quite so well. So to assign feelings to my poor hammer and screwdriver, they are left unfulfilled. There is potential in them that is unfulfilled when they are used for something that they are not meant to be used for. When we are using these things the way that they are designed to be used, there's nothing extra about how they are put together. There's nothing that is unused. There's nothing that's the wrong way. It all works together in one graceful, beautiful movement. That tool experiences shalom in that moment. And so man's greatest need then is to do what we were made to do. Right? And so we have that sense of unease, that sense of emptiness, because we're not doing what we were made to do. We're not fulfilling our purpose. So what, we, what were we created for? In, uh, in the 1600s, the Presbyterian and the Anglican churches in, in Scotland and England uh, got together, and one of the documents that they published as a result of that, uh, of that gathering was this uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is used to teach uh, kids and, and new believers some of the principles of the faith. And the very first thing, the very first thing that they wanted to establish was just this. What is man's purpose? What is the chief end of man? And the answer that they gave, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we are destined, we are created. We were created to bring glory to God, to love him. And if we aren't doing that, if we are not doing that, then we are we're like a hammer that's used as a pickaxe or a grinder, right? We are not fulfilling our purpose, and we are going to remain unfulfilled because of that.
So when we are loving God, when we are doing what we were created to do, then that is when we will find that all of our needs have been met in our love of God. Uh, This is what the 23rd Psalm speaks to, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There are none of my needs that will remain unfulfilled if I am trusting in my heavenly Father as my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So with God as his shepherd, all of his needs, all of his wants, all of these things find their perfect and complete fulfillment in his heavenly Father. Because ultimate fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment of any and all of these human needs cannot happen apart from God. Uh, in John 4, you remember the story of, of Jesus and the woman at the well? So Jesus is sitting there and this woman comes to draw water out of this well. Um, and as they, as they carry on that conversation, uh, we'll kind of jump into the middle of it here. Um, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So there exists in the human heart this this need, a need that can only be satisfied, that can only be fulfilled by Christ. It can only be fulfilled by a right relationship with him. We can meet every other need. We can move up that chart to the very peak of it, but we cannot be whole. We cannot be at peace until we are drinking of that living water, until we are loving God with everything that we are. But when we drink, But when we drink from the living water that is God himself, all of our other needs will be filled. This was the point that that Augustine got to with that quote that I use about every other week, it feels like. Um, When he said to God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. We cannot be at peace in this world, unless we are finding our peace in Christ. We cannot be at rest in this world unless we are finding our rest in him. We cannot be fulfilled, we cannot be whole, we cannot be satisfied in this life unless we are finding all of those things in him. Because we were made to love him. We were made to love God, and so we need to love God. And that need is the greatest need that we, as human beings, will ever face. Now, we as believers, we as Christians, have had that need met in our lives. We have been made whole. We have been healed. And because of that, because of that, we love God. 
We worship him. We glorify him. Because God has made mankind in his image, and because he has loved us so extravagantly, we then love others. We see their needs, and we do everything that we can to try and meet those needs. But what is their biggest need? Their biggest need is to find that same ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment that we find in our Heavenly Father. They need Jesus. That is the single biggest need in their life. And so loving God and loving others will, it has to lead to us teaching the people around us to love God and to love others as well. And if we fail to do that, if we fail to teach them to love God the way that we do, then we will have failed to meet the single biggest need that exists in their lives. And if we do that, if we fail to meet the single biggest need in their lives, then that is not, we are not showing them love. It is not loving of us to fail to meet that need. And if we fail to meet that need, that demonstrates that we do not love God the way that we claim. So if we truly love God, and if we truly love others, then we will teach them to love God and to love others, to make disciples. That's the term that the, that the Bible uses for a follower of Jesus, is a disciple. Um, and, and the word um, actually is, is learner or, or apprentice, right? The idea is that, uh, that these are people who lived and ministered together. We see that in, um, in some of the stories around the disciples, right? The disciples would go and they'd get groceries, for the group. They would go and, uh, and find a place to stay. They did some of the work that was necessary for the teacher's ministry, and the teacher shared his life and shared his instruction with them. And as a result, the disciple would have modeled their lives in the pattern of the teacher. They were apprentices. And that disciple was made over time, right? There's, there's no way to make a disciple other than that sustained life-on-life -life con contact. There's no microwave option for this, right? This is a crock pot. This is a slow cooker. Um, alternatively, to carry that food comparison forward, there's um, a, a disciple is made the same way that our bodies are built up, right? We don't start off our lives with this great big pile of food, and we eat all of the food that we will ever need for our entire lives all at once. Right? It just it doesn't work that way. I mean, maybe it does for some people. It, a little abnormal, but... <clears throat> um, but rather, we eat a little bit, and then our bodies put that to use. And we eat a little bit more, and our bodies put that to use. And so over time, as we are eating and drinking, we are being built up. Our bodies are being built up and sustained. It didn't happen all at once. It's this long, slow, cumulative work as your body processed all of those calories and those nutrients into the form that you have now. So in the same way, a disciple is built up slowly over the span of years, decades even. Right? Now, there might be a few books or sermons or, or discussions or moments that, that stick with you over time. But 
by and large, we are slowly growing. We are changed. We are fed by the word. We are fed. Uh, we grow through the spirit. We grow in the encouragement of, of God's people. Uh, because even Jesus, right? Even Jesus, perfect teacher, took him three years. He spent three years building up his disciples. And at least for me, I see this being true in my life. Right? The, some of the people who have had the most influence on me are not the most educated, right? the most gifted theological thinkers. The biggest names are the brightest stars. Right? But the people who have had the biggest impact on me are the men and women who have quietly, slowly, patiently walked along beside me, demonstrating for me what it, me what it means to follow Jesus and constantly encouraging me in example and in word to do the same. Um, specifically, especially early on in my career, I had the privilege of working for um, a, a series of strong Christian men who showed me what it looks like for somebody in the business world uh, to handle a difficult customer. How do you handle somebody who is lying to you and you know it? How do you handle somebody who's trying to cheat you? And so by allowing me to walk alongside of them for a time, teaching and demonstrating what it looked like for a Christian to be in the business world, they shaped and they molded me in a very significant way. They discipled me. So a disciple is a learner, a follower, an apprentice Christian, somebody who is trying to walk as Jesus walked, to follow his pattern. And to accomplish this work, we're given his Holy Spirit, right? We're given his word and we're given his people. And all three of those things work together to shape us and to mold us. They teach us to be disciples of Jesus. Now, this making of disciples um, has, has its roots way back in the, in the beginning of the faith, um, way back in the book of Exodus, we see in, in Exodus 12, in the Passover story, right, that, uh, that God tells Moses, not just you need to do these things to save yourself, but you need to do these things. And then in Exodus 12, 24, you shall observe this right, these, these things that I am telling you to, to do as a statute for you and your sons forever. When you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep his service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we doing these things? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So they were to observe this Passover annually, to remember, to teach, and to pass on the story of God's goodness towards them, why they love and serve their God. Uh, we also see in, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So passing on these commands, passing on their faith, this law, this scripture should be a part of our daily lives. They should, they should, these things should go with us wherever we go, and we should be teaching them diligently to 
those who are following after us. And he gives the reason a few verses later. In Deuteronomy 6.20, he says, when your, sons, when your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. So it was of the utmost importance for this generation to pass along their faith for the good of those who would come after them. And this was why in, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul said to Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there is an expectation there from the very beginning of, uh, of the nation of Israel to the church today. There is an expectation there that we are passing along our faith to those who are following after us. But most importantly, and most critically, we have the, this passage in, in Matthew 28 that is called the Great Commission. Great Commission. So after Jesus was crucified and buried, and after he rose again, he gathered the disciples together. Uh, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So making a disciple here has, has two pieces, right? We have baptism. We have this event where we proclaim, I am repenting of my sins. I am dying to my sins. I'm leaving them behind, and I'm following after Jesus. In death and in life, I am following him. So that, that, that commemoration is, is symbolic of our entry into the kingdom of heaven. That's our naturalization ceremony. That's when we swear an oath of allegiance to the true king of this earth. And so we need to be working to bring people into the kingdom. But that's only a part of it. Right? That's only a part of what Jesus has called us to do here. Because in addition to baptizing, he also calls us to go and to teach, to pass along what it is that we have learned about who God is and what he has done. Teaching, teaching those around us to love God and to love others the way that we have learned. Now, this is one of the, the recurring patterns that we see in scriptures, that we are blessed then to bless others. We have been given to then give away. Um, that, was the, uh, that was the point that God made in, uh, in Genesis 12, when he's talking to Abraham and calling Abraham out of where he was for the very first time. And he says to him, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that 
you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we have been blessed. We've been saved. Friends, we have been saved to save others. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been given a seat at the table in the kingdom to be able to invite others to come along with us. And just as with the command to love God and to love others, there are consequences if we don't get this right. Um, We're not going to read the whole thing, but the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, I'd encourage you to take a look at that um, on your own, but there's this master who gives these three servants different amounts of money, talents. It's a weight of silver. It's a tremendous amount of money. Uh, He gives to the one ten, he gives to the second one five, and he gives to the third one just one talent. And he goes away for some long period of time. He comes back, and he calls the servants together to settle up accounts. How did you do with the money that I entrusted you with? How did you do with what I've been given, with what I have given you? The first one comes and he says, you gave me 10, here's 10 back. I made a return on this investment. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the second one comes, he says, you gave me five, I made another five, here's 10. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then you have that third servant the one who was given one talent, the smallest amount of all. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid I was going to lose this. I was afraid I was going to mess it up. And I didn't want to lose it. And so I buried it. I hid it. But here, I kept it safe for you. Here's the one talent that you entrusted me with. How does the master respond? You wicked, lazy servant. You should have returned an investment on on what I gave you. So we have been entrusted with a treasure, and we serve a master who entrusts us with that treasure, expecting a return. He expects us to put it to work, to make more of that treasure, to give back to him. So the point then to what we do here is not just to keep our faith safe, not just to build up our faith, But rather, the point is to replicate, to reproduce our faith, to invest it, to show a return. So is that what what we're doing? Is that what you're doing? Are you investing the faith that has been entrusted to you in other people? Or have you buried it in the ground to keep it safe? We... Each one of us who are sitting here has been invested in. Somebody, somebody took their faith and invested it in you. That's why you're here. You would not be here if somebody had not done that for you. And so we then have a responsibility, if we have been blessed, to be a blessing. If we have been given something, to give it away. If we have been invested in, then we have a responsibility to be investing in others. We have a scriptural obligation to pass on what we have learned. 
But we need to be paying attention to both parts of the Great Commission, right? Both the baptizing and the teaching. Um, so with, uh, both within our church body here and within my family, uh, I've got some folks who work in college admissions, right? Trying to get students to go to a particular college. Now there can be some problems there, right? Because if you go out and you convince 100,000 students to show up at your college, and they show up, and you don't have classes for them to attend, you don't have dorms for them to stay in, you don't have degree programs, you just, you got them there, I would say that you pretty well failed as a school, right? I mean, that's kind of pointless. But the flip side of that is you can have the best programs, you can have the best professors, you can have all of these wonderful degree programs, but if you only educate the people who show up on day one, and you don't go out and you tell people about the benefits of your programs and how much they're going to learn, then you also will have failed as a school. Because there, rather, there are marketers, there are advisors to help people to understand why it is important for them to be there. Because that college is there for a purpose, right? They're there to, to equip people to go out into, into society and to contribute. And so in the same way, we as disciples are disciples who are then to turn around and make more disciples to go out into the world so that they will make disciples. And so we're not just trying to get more people in through the door, but we're also not just trying to build up the people who show up, but we are doing both to try and produce as many people who love God and love others as we possibly can. So each week, then, we are setting aside time to follow each one of these directives. Right? We're, we set aside time every Sunday morning to come together as a church body to, to express and to practice our love for who God is. We are going to be setting aside time each week uh, to provide each other with the opportunity to come together and practice loving others in community groups. And we are also going to be uh, providing the opportunity for people to gather together to learn how to be better disciples of Jesus. Now, these discipleship groups are going to be a little bit, bit smaller, right? These are three or four men or women gathering together in, in discrete groups. And they're meeting together weekly for one year. One year. During that year, they will be engaging with Scripture. So not just reading it, but, but engaging with it. Uh, memorizing Scripture, holding each other accountable, praying for one another. And then at the end of that year, and this is the most critical piece, at the end of that year, those people will then step out and start a new discipleship group replicating themselves, passing on their faith to people who will then step out at the end of another year and replicate and pass on their faith. And in doing so, they will not just become a disciple, but they will become a disciple who is then making disciples. And ultimately, ultimately that's what I want to be. That is who I want to be. 
And that is who I think God has called every single one of us to be. I want to love God. I'm not as good at it as I should be. I want to love others. But that's really hard for me sometimes. That's a skill that I need to practice. That is a skill that I need to develop. And I want to make disciples. But if I don't intentionally choose to set aside time to do that in my life, I'll be quite honest with you. It's probably not going to happen. So these are things that I need as a believer right now. These are the things that I wish that I had five years ago. These are the things that I wish I had 20 years ago. These are the things that I need in my life. And I think that we all need in our lives to have that firm, healthy foundation. Because we don't have, ultimately, any control over what happened yesterday, or last week, or last year. But what we do have control over is what we are going to do from this moment forward. So from this moment forward, I want to be growing in my love for God. I want to be growing in my love for others. And I want to be making disciples. Now, if you want these things too, if you want to grow in these things as well, I would invite you to walk along with me in that. Now, if you are a long-term Christian, right? You have served the Lord for years. I would encourage you not to rest on the laurels of what you have, on, on where you've come from or where you've arrived at or how long it is that you have been serving God. But rather, as Paul said in, in Philippians 3, he said, not that I have obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So friend, do not coast. Do not coast through whatever remains of your life, but strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on. Now, if you are a newer believer, if you know, yeah, I'm a sinner and I'm trusting Jesus, I would encourage you not to rest simply on that belief or to be content to be a spiritual child eating spiritual milk rather than having moved on to solid food. Because God presents us with the, with the opportunity, with the privilege, not just to be saved, not just to be saved, but to grow into a strong disciple, a disciple who is used by God to accomplish great and wonderful things. And I would encourage you to walk with us in this so that you may turn, so that you may then turn and walk beside those who are coming along behind you, so that you may then turn and invest in others the way that people have invested in you. And there's a third group of people who may be represented here. Those people who are a little unsure about this whole God thing. I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. I'm glad that you're here. Um, 
And I, I hope that this is a place that, that you can grow and learn because you are still welcome to walk with us in, in, any of these, in any of these three ways because it is our desire as a church that God would use us and, and our witness to you, not as perfect people, but as people who are striving and seeking to do these three things, to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. So we would invite you to taste and see, to walk with us for a bit, and to see if God is as good, if he is as powerful, if he is as wonderful as we make him out to be. Now, ultimately, this is a little bit of an experiment. I don't know whether there's four of you or 40 of you who are going to be interested in taking me up on this. Uh, And I'm okay with that. Because I want, I want to grow in my love for God. I want to grow in my love for others. And I want to grow in my ability, my capacity to make disciples. And so we are going to gather here together on Sunday morning out of love for God, to express and to celebrate our love for him. And we're going to be gathering together into these community groups of about 10 people throughout the week to practice loving others. We're going to be gathering together into discipleship groups of three or four people to make disciples. If you want to be a part of this experiment, if you want to try and see what it is that that God is trying to do in and through us, um, let me know. Talk to me. Email me. Text me. Put information on the sign-up sheet out there. Even if you have challenges, right? Even if there are barriers, uh, in childcare, mobility, job schedules. If you want to grow in these three areas, let me know, please, so that we can walk alongside one another in that. So are you willing? Are you willing? Do you want to try and make a return on the investment, that treasure of faith that was made in you? Are you willing to pour out your life for the good of others? just as others have poured into you in the past? Are you willing to invest as others have invested in you? Let's pray. Father, we... Father, we thank you. God, we are not worthy of the privilege to come before you as your children. We are not worthy of this calling that you have placed on our lives. We're not capable of this calling that you have placed on us. But God, even though we can never accomplish it, even though we don't have the slightest hope on our own, God, that's still what we want. That's still what we desire. We long to love you more. We long to to show that same love to the people around us. God, and we long, we long to bring people into your kingdom, to teach them who you are and what you have done for us. So, Father, we ask that that as much as our hearts long for that, God, that you would would cause us to move, God, to turn that longing, to turn that desire into actions, God. God. We ask that you would be at work in our hearts, creating in us a need 
to follow more closely after you and to walk alongside our brothers and sisters who are experiencing that same need, that being compelled to walk that path, Father. We love you and we praise you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.